With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Log Talk Radio. People, what's going on? Sidecast of the Bingo live and direct. Today we have Sided Today with me. <laughs> How you guys doing? I want to say a happy Independence Day, 53rd year of independence for the Democratic Republic of the Congo, my country of birth. Born in Kinshasa, so you know I'm Kinwa. Coming by way of Bujimai, you know, Kasai. Come way of Minyamba, over there in Kindu. What's going on, people? What, what, what? So I want to say happy anniversary, happy Independence Day to all my Congolese out there and our true supporters of Congo and all you Zazas, as we call the Zairians, and when it was Zaire back in the day. So, hey, I'll give you a little shout-out on the music side, let you know what's going on, and then we're going to do our thing. So, anyways, people, today we've got a few things we're going to cover. You know, I think this is, what, season? <laughs> oh, my God. What season is it? Season five? I think we've started already. So I want to thank you for uh, your support and what have you. Uh, we have uh, we're going to cover a few things today. Paul, you know, some politics, some domestic stuff, international stuff, internet entertainment stuff. I believe Superman came out. In fact, I think I think a few movies came out uh, these last couple of days. And we're going to you know, that reminds me about a comment that uh, Spielberg and George Lucas made some time ago in reference to the industry. And uh, we'll cover that also. And we're going to talk about some sports. What's been happening? Oh my man, Aaron Hernandez with the New England Patriots. It's like oh my god. We will get to that later on. <laughs> so, people, what is happening with you guys out there? Talk to me. How you doing? How's the weather? All my people in California, I know you're dying right about now because it is way, way too hot out there for what is happening. I mean, it is not even funny. It is not even funny. So, I think it's about 90 degrees downtown L.A., and I believe it's about 100, you know, 150 degrees up in the valley. And let me tell you, I think a friend of mine, uh, Mimi, said back in the day, there's hot, hotter, and then there's the valley, which is hell. Because if it's 90 in, in, in Los Angeles, you know, um, downtown or what, Hollywood, in the valley, it's about a good 150. So let me tell you, it, it's, it's no joke. Now, let's get on to some stuff here, some domestic politics. You know what's been happening this last couple of days, the big Supreme Court ruling on Proposition 8 and uh, Defense of Marriage Act. It's been uh, up getting a lot of people's uh, vibe uh, negative in terms of, oh, they think it's the end of the world, and, you know, it's uh, getting the people who've been very supportive of uh, both measures um, being struck down in reference to uh, gay marriage and federal benefits for uh, those who are of the gay or lesbian community, uh, transgender. There's one more, I'll say LGBT, uh, bisexual, but... Let's get straight to the words here uh, of what's been coming from the Supreme Court. 
Also, you know, immigration is making that move, coming from the Democratic side. Now they have to go over to the Republican side, and it should be very interesting. You know, I do have my thoughts on that, and we actually did talk about this some time ago. Um, I believe it was last year I did a three-part series on immigration that actually has been downloaded, I think, a couple, uh, a lot. So, you know, you, you can probably go back to those shows, and, you know, if you'd like to know my opinion, you could always ask me. You know, I have my views on the whole thing, and me being an immigrant and also being here um, in the U.S., uh, soon to be a naturalized citizen. Uh, after being here for so long as a permanent resident. But, you know, for me, it's just a the situation we'll talk about later on. And then, you know, there is a lot of movies that's coming out. But let's get on to them stuff here. First thing that came up, first off, for you guys that want to give me a buzz, uh, 646-595-2892. 646-595-2892 if you want to reach out. Um, I think our lines are doing well today. I think there's no issues or anything like that. If you want to come and chat with me, that's no problem. You're more than welcome to do that. You know, we talk about anything. My thoughts are unedited. Your thoughts are, are, are unedited. As long as we keep it clean. As long as we keep it clean. And I believe we may even touch on Paula Dean's situation, but uh, we'll get to that later on. So let's talk with our people out here. Let's see what's going on. Um, we'll talk about immigration first. That was brought up. That was actually covered on Al Jazeera English some time ago. And let's give a listen to what they have to say about this situation here. Passage in the U.S. Senate and the first hurdle cleared for U.S. immigration reform. The proposed law would grant legal status to millions of undocumented immigrants currently living in the United States. Their road may be harder and longer than everyone else's road. A 10-year probationary period, no benefits or assistance of any kind. But it, too, can end. The immigration bill increases border security by doubling the number of agents along the U.S.-Mexico border and will offer 11 million undocumented immigrants already in the U.S. a path to earn their citizenship in a minimum of 13 years. The bill also creates a new system to grant more than half of all visas each year based on an applicant's job skills. But passage of immigration reform in the U.S. Senate is only the first step. The bill must still clear Congress's lower chamber, the House of Representatives. And that is proving more difficult. The legislation is controversial. With millions of Americans still out of work, there's concern the bill rewards those who entered the U.S. illegally. Well, jobs are in short supply. It would have an adverse effect on the nation's... um, most vulnerable population, in particular uh, people of color, uh, people who are working in uh, low-wage jobs, low-skilled jobs. The top Republican in the U.S. House of Representatives says he wants to act on immigration reform but won't vote on what the Senate passes. Instead, the House will pass its own version of the legislation sometime this year. For any legislation, including a conference report, uh, to pass the House, it's going to uh, have to be a bill that has the support of a majority of our members. But most Republicans in the House Mr. oppose Carter. the Senate's legislation, which offers citizenship to undocumented immigrants. Democrats are unlikely to support a bill that doesn't provide that option. That makes it doubtful immigration legislation in the U.S. in its current form will ever become law. Kimberly Halkett, Al Jazeera, Washington. Some words from Al Jazeera English. And the gentleman you heard speak was Jack Martin. He's from the Federation of American Immigration Reforms, and it's a subject he actually speaks on quite frequently, and I think that's something that's overlooked in reference to, okay, on one side we want to give legal status to millions that are in the country um, illegally in the shade, the shadows of society, like some people like to say. On the other side, you have, like, so many Americans that are out of work. So now, you know, particularly for those low-wage jobs, and people, you know, often say, well, you know, these are jobs Americans don't want to do anyways. That's not really true. Uh, let me, let's, let's clear that. Let's kill that nonsense. That's not necessarily true. So as he, re- as he referenced, you know, there's, you're creating more competition for less, you know, for the, the less amounts of jobs out there among so many who are out of work. But let's, before we continue on, let's see what CBS Online had to say. But again, that gentleman on Al Jazeera English, uh, his name was Jack Martin, Federation of American Immigration Reform. So let's see what CBS Online had to say about this some time ago. Cheers in the Senate gallery and cries of, yes, we can, after the sweeping immigration bill was passed Thursday. But the overhaul is far from certain. Nancy Cordes is on Capitol Hill this morning. Nancy, good morning. Good morning, Anthony. And now all eyes are on the House to see what they will do. 
Just like the Senate, they have had a big bipartisan group of lawmakers working on reform. But unlike the Senate, they have not been able to reach a deal. And that has forced Republican House leaders to chart their own path forward. The bill as amended is passed. The bill the Senate passed Thursday leaves no part of immigration law untouched, spending billions to seal the border and putting illegal immigrants who are here already on a decade-long path to citizenship if they pass a background check and pay fines. This bill is not perfect, but it's a really good solution in my view to a very difficult problem. But Republican leaders in the House say their approach will look much different, tackling each element of reform individually. I would not support a special pathway to citizenship. Virginia's Bob Goodlatte is chair of the House Judiciary Committee, which has been working on bills to create an agricultural guest worker program, expand visas for highly skilled immigrants, and track down immigrants who overstay their visas. He says House Republicans have not yet come to a consensus on what to do about the nation's 11 million illegal immigrants. The main goal, he says, is to avoid a repeat of 1986, when an immigration bill signed by President Reagan legalized 3 million people but failed to live up to promises to secure the border. How long will this step-by-step -step process take? Well, what we say is until we get it right. We've gotten immigration wrong in the past, and it's not worth going down that path again uh, if we can't get it done right. House Democrats haven't supported any of the Republican plans yet, but signaled a new willingness to work together on Thursday. We know it has to be a compromise. We know who's in the majority. Uh, but if you want our vote, it has to be something that our members can vote for. One option House Republicans are discussing would be to give illegal immigrants some kind of legal status that falls short of citizenship, but only after they have proof that the border has been secured. One thing is for sure, Anthony and Nora, if the House does pass immigration reform, it is going to be very challenging to combine the House version with the Senate version. So that's a process that could take many months. Whew. So a lot is going on. It's, it's, it's very interesting because, you know, I, I speak as, a, you know, I can speak as an immigrant. I can speak as someone coming here legally. I can speak as someone that's been here for a long time. I can speak as someone that learned the language. I can speak in reference to respecting the laws and the culture of the land and things like that. I can also see the other side of people say, well, people are coming here for work and things like that. Okay, that's nice and that's great. But I think there has to be some a, a little uh, level of respect for the country's laws itself. Regards to good or bad or anything like that. And it just seems sometimes that, you know, some people want the laws to be very harsh in reference to whatever they feel the punishment is. Because right now, uh, Reuters uh, did a poll where it showed that a majority of the American, American, American people, uh, approximately 70, 71, 75%, uh, want illegals deported out of the United States. So that was a poll done recently. Conversely, I know there's a, one of our colleagues on, from Univision on Meet the Press this morning. Was it Meet the Press or was it uh, Face the Nation was talking about how, well, you know, um, the Republican Party is going to be known as the ones that killed immigration reform and things like that. So they have to deal with the 55 million um, Latinos in this country. Well, you know, that's good in reference to the numbers he brings up, but it's bad in reference to the monotheism that he's bringing up. I can't remember my colleague's name, but it was a great interview. On, I believe we'll face the nation. I don't know why I keep thinking it's Meet the Press, but um, where do you stand on this? What's your position on this? Again, I did a three-part series, so um, I think for me it's about respecting the laws. I've always just questioned, though, if someone – now, this is for, for my personal sake here. You know, this is not a, um, anything crazy, but I've always wondered when someone's in a country for about 20-something years or even 15 years or even 10 years that they've made no effort to even learn the language – I always have to. I always question that person's, you know, um, seriousness or sincerity when it comes to respecting the law. If one thing a person wants to work, then there should be legal avenues for that. If one thing a person wants to provide their family, well, if they have legal avenues for them to work, that's no problem. But for me, that usually stands out. You know, not just paying. You know, people want to say, well, they're here paying taxes and things like that. But the thing I never really get, I don't really see this among the youth. I see this among the adults, and I met so many. You know, I teach also, where. And they've had conversations with a lot of my friends also, and I've, we've, had, we've talked about this, where you were talking to people who have been here almost 10 years, and they can't speak any English. So it's like, are you saying that you don't want to be part of the fabric of America, or 
Is this person saying that, you know, they just don't value the language? Because I know when a lot of my friends go out to Mexico or Latin America or even parts of Africa, because I think the mistake with the immigration conversation has been that they want to portray it as being a Latino face on it. They may be the largest group of undocumented or illegal immigrants in the country, but there's so many immigrants from other countries. And I feel that by painting with just one face, it's creating an us versus them in reference to those who are illegally or American citizens versus Latinos because that's the face. And even Governor Richardson, when he was on Meet the Press, I believe two weeks ago, the first thing he articulated, he said was, well, speaking as a Hispanic. And I've, I've never really enjoyed that when I've seen, when they talk about immigration, they just show the Latinos. Like, they don't show anybody else. So I think a lot of these news outlets are actually doing a disservice by not portraying the immigration struggle as a as a um, multi-ethnic um, you know, movement, what have you, like the civil rights movement. We knew it was for black, our black American brothers and sisters, but they always made sure that they showed that how in their marches, whatever, that everybody came out to support. But I know here in L.A., when I've seen immigration marches go by my window, a lot of times it's like 99% Latino. Well, let's say Latino looking. We have to be very careful how we say these comments. But, and a lot of the signs are in Spanish. I don't really see anybody else out there. So if I'm living in Nebraska and I'm sitting on the TV and I'm looking at these markets, I'm thinking, oh, it must be just the Latino um, who are undocumented. But there's so many Im- immigrant groups in this country that I think one mistake that I think what's hurting the movement is for immigration reform is that because they've always portrayed our, they only show our Latino brothers and sisters when they talk about immigration, they're creating the image that it's only a Latino matter. It's almost like uh, it's almost like a Black History Month. You know, when Black History Month comes out, you see all these black professors and intellectuals and academics speaking. The minute it's over, they go right back to the shadow of society. So, you know, we, what, can, what, can you, what can you do from there? Hey, let's take our first little commercial break here before we move on. So a uh, little music, if you don't mind. Let's see. I'm kind of like in a laid-back flow. So let's move a little bit to this. Eye against eye.
space for drivers, no space for walkers, no space regardless. Your armor passing, get off it. All headed and all responsive. Get their lives put on target with harshness. Come with the cannon sparking, they darken. Who am I, one man squadron? Monster to fire this time to snatch it tomorrow. The thousand yard state that appears through your armor. You can get it all right now if you want to. But when you're front line, get marshaled. I warn you, you know who forever belongs to. Death and massive attack come from the soundtrack of Blade 2. Mm. Eye against eye, most death. And massive attack soundtrack of Blade 2. Well, people were asking about the intro music. Uh, the intro music actually for, to our show here is, I'm sorry, Fantasy Girl by Johnny O's from my Miami freestyle days. Let me tell you, music back then was so less segregated. You play on, you turn on the radio, you hear house, hip hop, rap, you know, pop music. Some Miami freestyle is just the way it used to be. Now it's just so segregated. You hear, you know, the same thing over and over. It's like, oh my God. But we'll get to that later on. Let's move on. Um, another uh, ruling that got came down, uh, eventful in situation here is a Defense of Marriage Act and Proposition Eight decision came down from the Supreme Court. But let's hear a conversation that took place with uh, Jay Sickle on Fox News. Uh, and Sean Hennedy. Let's give it a little listen here. Again, it talks about the Defense of Marriage Act and Proposition 8. Let's give it a listen. Hey, if you guys want to chat with me and you're listening to me live and direct from L.A. on this hot day, you can definitely chat with me live. I have it blocked so you won't be able to see other people on there with you because sometimes these arguments come out. So give me a question on the chat. We can have our conversation. Do what we do because you know, hey, look, it's about you. It's not just about me. I like to hear different points of view. Again, 646-595. 2892. Again, Jay Sekulow on Fox News with Sean Hannity, Defense of Marriage Act and Proposition 8. See what they have to say. And welcome back to Hannity. The highest court in the land handed down two major rulings earlier today involving same-sex marriage. Now, first, the Supreme Court struck down part of the Defense of Marriage Act in a 5-4 decision. The justices ruled that same-sex couples will now be eligible to receive federal benefits. Now, Justice Anthony Kennedy wrote the majority opinion, and he said that the law, quote, places same-sex couples in an unstable position of being in a second-tier marriage. But Justice Antonin Scalia, who read part of the dissent, said the court did not have jurisdiction to hear the case in the first place. Now, he said, quote, there are two parts to the majority's <coughs> opinion. The first, explaining why this court has jurisdiction to decide the question, and the second, deciding it. Both of them are wrong, and the error in both springs from the same diseased root, an exalted notion of the role of this court in American democratic society. 
Now, the second major decision that was handed down had to do with California's Proposition 8. Now, the justices decided in another 5-4 to four ruling that the petitioners did not have the jurisdiction to appeal to the lower court's ruling. This effectively paves the way for same-sex marriage in the Golden State. Here with reaction from the American Center for Law and Justice, Jay Seculo, and attorney Catherine Lombardo. Jay, your take on both of these, sir? Not shocked with either one, actually. I, I think that in the Defense of Marriage Act case, it's important to realize that what was at stake was not was just the one provision, which is if a state allows same-sex marriage to same-sex couples to marry, they are to be given benefits under federal benefit rules. Not the state rules, but under federal laws. That's not really a shock, and there's a federalist argument, in fact, that you know that should be up to the states in the first place. What was not challenged in the Defense of Marriage Act, which is still the law, uh, was Section 2, which says that if uh, there's a same-sex marriage performed, say, in New York State, it doesn't have to be recognized in Texas, if the Texas doesn't right. recognize same-sex marriage. So not a real shock there, and there's kind of a federalist approach. I think Justice Scalia's dissent, uh, especially the first part, dealing with really should the court have even heard the case, uh, brings up the whole separation of powers, this idea that the courts are not supposed to be the final arbiters of these decisions. The Proposition 8 case, Sean, is a punt. I mean, the, the court said there's no standing. So there's no merits decision here. It sent it back down, not even to the Court of Appeals, but rather to the District Court. So they're in the Southern District of California, uh, they, they would allow same-sex marriages to take place. Maybe the state of California doesn't go broader than that. There was no holding uh, that there was a constitutional right uh, to same-sex marriage. So, again, not surprised at that one either. I, I thought the standing issue was significant in that case, and apparently uh, a split majority, conservative and liberal justices, joining together on this. This did not fall on ideological lines. Catherine, what's your reaction? Well, of course this ruling will be statewide in California. I mean, the uh, district court, the ninth district, it's not going to overrule itself if the issue is can you get married in Southern California but not in Northern California. Today is a great day, a great day for equality. This has been going on for 13 years. It started with the Knight Initiative in the year 2000 with Prop 22. This is not a new issue. The wheels of justice grind slowly. 13 years to decide this issue, and thank God it's been decided. And even though it was an issue of standing, and the United States Supreme Court decided the case on standing, the issue has been resolved. They yeah. have resolved it by saying that Prop well, 8 violates the Equal Protection Clause, and it serves no purpose well, other than to violate the right the Supreme Court of the United of States said. That's exactly what the Supreme that's Court said. That's what the Supreme Court said. said. The Supreme Court said there was no standing. That's right. It, it, court said it did no because standing, it said it send it back down to the Ninth District Court. And when you go back down to the District Court, no, not Ninth District Court. That the becomes Ninth the law, court of and that's the law. Decision was of vacated. It went back to the district court, not the Ninth Circuit. That's it went the back law to the of the land court, as of and today. And the Supreme Court specifically right, guys, we're standing. That is the law Jay, of the land. Right. Hang on, it I'm, I'm a referee here. It says that it violates no, the equal protection well, Hang on, Catherine. Jay, explain your point. That's not what the Supreme... But let's talk about what the Supreme Court actually did. David Boyce spoke to this. He said he did not get a nationwide decision uh, finding a fundamental right to same-sex marriage, no matter what side of the debate you're on, you've got to deal with the reality of what the Supreme Court decided. They decided there was not standing to challenge Proposition 8. So it did not go back to the Ninth Circuit District Court. There is no Ninth Circuit District Court. It right, vacated the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals decision, sent it bound to a district court. And David Boyce said, and I think he was correct in saying this, one day uh, this was a step on the road to maybe there will be a, you know, a found a constitutional right, but they'd have to be finding it. It doesn't exist, uh, in the, of course, on the face of the Constitution. But even more than that, the court did not address it, and that included liberal members of the court. All right, court. Jay, let me ask you a question. Now, well, let me, let me, the, hang on a second, Captain. Let me, let me get this in made. here. Because this, this was, I thought Scalia's dissent, he excoriated his fellow jurists here. You know, he said, in the majority's telling, the, the story's black and white. Hate your neighbor or come along with us. He said the truth is more complicated yeah. than that. And it's hard to admit that one's political opponents are not monsters. I, I thought he was really taking on in a hard line as his fellow jurists. Well, there's he, no he, question he was, that it has he, been he getting did, And he did that, Sean, because... He and was it concerned is concerned that the court was overstepping its authority to address the issue. Catherine? Period. Of well, separation you know, of take a look. Take a look at one of the uh, one of the cases that um, Justice Roberts cited in the opinion. It says that um, they had to put aside their natural urge to settle the issue. They wanted to resolve this issue. It's right. my personal opinion that they wanted to they resolve didn't. this issue once and for all.
All right, we're going to run it from there. Thank you both but for being with us. But the court's not going to address an issue, that, and this was not just conservative justices. This was liberal justices and conservative justices saying we're not going to decide that issue because it's not properly before the court, and the court doesn't give advisory But according opinion. to the law and by law, it says, and it's a ruling today, it's the law of the land, the highest court in the United States of America that it violates the equal protection law. I don't know what opinion you're reading. I suggest you reread Chief Justice Roberts' opinion. All right, we got to I read the entire thing word for word. Word there for you word. Go. Thank you both. So, this is just a conversation between two people. You can imagine what it is between the nation. Now, it's 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 really interesting because again, what is, it has to do with federal benefits, if I understand it correctly. But it has to do with federal benefits, and in that, um, you're married, and you know, you shouldn't be denied federal benefits. If I have to understand correctly. The issue is that there's a lot of legality involved because uh, Prop 8 was specifically toward California where it was put on the ballot. The people got enough to put on the ballot. The people voted on on, um, should gay marriage be allowed or preventive. And the people spoke that it should not, it should be allowed. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I correct. They voted that it should not be allowed. So, in California, there were gay marriages were not allowed. Now the question becomes uh, on a deeper issue outside of the voice of uh, the, on both sides is <laughs> how I word this: What power do the people who has the power now? The people who are who are justices that can make these decisions or the people who vote on these decisions is now, I believe this was actually in, um, I believe this was in the LA Times several days ago where they spoke about this very issue in reference to who's going to make these, who's making these decisions now. If I vote on an initiative, uh, Friday will be vegan day. And someone says, well, you know, I, I, I like to have meat. And they go before the judge, the Supreme Court. This is a little extreme, I know. They go before the Supreme Court, and they say, well, look, you know, he wants to, I think that denies my rights because I should be allowed to have meat on Friday. It shouldn't be something that, you know, that uh, infringes on my personal freedom. It it might be extreme, but the the issue is, the base of this comment, this this, this scenario I'm I'm giving you, is if the... Will the people become dismayed or discouraged from voting on initiatives that are on ballot if somewhere in the corner a plaintiff could take the matter before the court and have their vote overturned? Because, again, I believe it's only 12, is it 12 states and D.C. recognize gay marriage? For some reason, some of the eight, I hear 18, but I believe it's only 12. But... If you're allowed now, again, I'm trying to separate the two, but it's a little difficult here. But let me see if I can separate the two. So, Proposition Eight has to do with California. Then, the Defense Defense of Marriage Act has to do with federal uh, federal benefits and those kind of things. The issue here is that those benefits are applicable to gay marriages in states that allow and recognize them. So, Texas, you know, if that's a state where they don't recognize gay marriage. And it's actually um, an initiative where they, you, you you can have a gay marriage there, uh, legal gay marriage. Then you are in a situation because you're trying to get federal benefits for your marriage in a state that doesn't recognize gay marriage. So those are the kind of things that's a little different. But what I'll probably do is a friend of mine I like to bring on the air uh, in the next couple of weeks where we can talk about this issue. Also, I like to probably I'll probably do a whole special on this about 30 minutes. You can get both sides of the conversation. For me, um, a side product of this whole thing, I think, when it comes to this discussion, is that I don't really like how, and this is me personally, okay, and I'm, I'm just going to give my thoughts on it. I've always believed that, uh, you know, you should respect other people's opinion. I don't like for those people who, who because of their faith, their religious upbringing, or what have you, they... Uh, they believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. That's what they believe. That's their faith. That's their conviction. What I don't like is when people call these people racist, homophobic, intolerant, and things like that. That's where I kind of draw the line. 
because if say for example I I believe it's marriage between a man and a woman and you're gay and you want to get married you want to get married I'll respect who you are and I'll respect what you want to do that's not going to make me dislike you that's not going to make me hate you that's not going to make me go protest and call you whatever whatever I'll respect that that's you that's your life go about your business but if I come out and say, but you know what, I'm, I believe marriage is between a man and a woman, then here comes the visceral attacks towards myself or people that articulate that from the LGBT community, from those that support gay marriage, and all those kind of things. And that's one thing I think is, is, is should not be tolerated, especially by those in the LGBT community. You can't easily, as a gentleman said on, uh, I think it was Meet the Press, whatever, you can't easily label somebody, oh, they're intolerant because they don't support gay marriage. If that's what they feel, and that's how they were brought up, and that's what's in their, they have convictions about that, then you have to respect that because that's them. But when people want to start saying, oh, you want to start denying the civil rights of gays and lesbians, and oh, it's like the blacks, and no, wait, 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 wait. Uh, a voter's initiative is one thing. What I'm speaking on is the individual reaction to people who are against gay marriage. They're against the principle of gay marriage. They're not against the person who's gay. Because I know a lot of religious people, a lot of them, who, who are deep faith, different religions, who have gay friends. And they're not trying to crucify them or trying to convert them. But they shouldn't, you know, particularly Christians these days, it seems like, you know, that's, that's going to be an interesting show about selecting which words to stand on from the Bible. But... If you're gay or lesbian or whatever, and you want to get married or whatever, and that's what you want to do, that's your life, that's your business. It's not going to affect my life in any kind of way. Regardless of what it may feel, whatever. But if my friend says, you know, hey, look, I believe it's between a man and a woman, and you want to call him intolerant, homophobic, or racist, whatever, then I'm going to have a problem with you. Because that's disrespectful. And I think we need to have those conversations. And I would really like to see the LGBT community come out and speak against those people who are very visceral in their hatred of anybody that's against gay marriage or whatever. So for me, it's like, look, let's just respect each other. The, uh, the issue of people's um, rights being taken away or whatever or, you know, the power of the vote. It, it, the issue for me, besides, you know, immigration and the, the Defense of Branch Act and Prop 8, is where are the jobs? <laughs> that's what I want to know. Where are the jobs? Let's take, a little, let's take another musical break here. Thank you. 
Oh, uh, yeah. A little Janelle Monet. Beautiful song. That sounds very interesting. 57821. You know, it's actually her album. She's actually portraying an android who wants love. And it, no, an android in a society where uh, androids aren't allowed to have to be in relationship with humans. And it actually was the inspiration for me to write this synthetic project because I like that storyline in reference to that society. And she's really into it. So I definitely like to do something with her on that subject because the synthetic project is kind of like along those lines. So it was very interesting. I had written that piece that uh, I actually had this song in my head. So it kind of played as like temp music for the script. Uh, we hired a director for this, so... We're looking to shoot this this fall, but it's going to be published as a graphic novel. But let's continue on with some uh, international news. It's domestic and international. And you know, you probably have an idea what it's going to be. The NSA situation. Because people, it's the NSA versus Snowden. And it is going to be interesting. They talk, uh, George Stephanopoulos talked about it with this, um, this week. Let's get straight to the interview. Let's get more on this now with Martha Raddatz, ABC's Chief Global Affairs Correspondent, Dan Senor, co-founder of the Foreign Policy Initiative, and Richard Haas, President of the Council on Foreign Relations, also author of a new book, Foreign Policy Begins at Home. And Richard, let me begin with you, because you put out a pretty powerful tweet uh, this morning saying that by releasing Snowden, China has thrown away the chance to invest in relations with the United States. Well, here this is, George, just a couple of weeks after this summit where China talked about a win-win relationship to be a model of relations between major powers of the day. And instead, they've gone for a short-term gain. Plus, it raises real questions whether China's prepared to enter into any sort of regulation or what could be the great area of international competition for the next couple of days. So you have no doubt that this was the government of China telling Hong Kong. There's not a lot of freelancing going on in China. The idea that the Hong Kong authorities did this independently, this to me, inconceivable. You agree that this complicates the relationship? I, I think it complicates it, but I certainly don't think it ends it. I don't think it's quite that serious. I think China will move on. Hong Kong will move on. What were they really supposed to do? They have domestic politics as well, especially in Hong Kong. Uh, Snowden had created protests in that country. So I think, in effect, China really had to say, let's get rid of this guy. Let's get rid of the problem. He might be here for months and months and months, and that would really complicate things. Clearly, though, Dan, you know, this is also something the United States does every day as well. They're working in China as well. Right, and Snowden's you know, interviews that he gave and documents he released to the Chinese press obviously puts us in a very uncomfortable position. But I think domestically in the U.S., I think this further strengthens the center on national security. I think there was a real risk over the last couple of weeks that there would be this left-right coalition that would backlash against the United States government's sort of libertarian uprising. And I think Snowden just traveling around the world, flying to these anti-American capitals, behaving the way he's doing, further strengthens. I think the center is holding right now in the U.S., and I think that's, that's positive development. How about the great irony here, that he's complaining about the United States and all these things the United States is doing wrong, and he might end up in Venezuela? Good luck, pal. <laughs> right. But one of the stunning things from we just heard from General Alexander, Richard, is that, you know, he conceded, yeah, those alarm bells didn't go off. And I think a lot of people shake their head and go, how could this possibly happen? A guy, a fairly low-level guy in Hawaii gets our top secrets. But what the general also said is true. We've got this system that depends upon millions of people, some full-time in uniform, some full-time civilians, some contractors. And there's always going to be a couple of weak links, and we're, we're vulnerable to that. And there's no way to ensure the security when you've got all these individuals, particularly so many people in the tech world, as Dan said, come at it with this libertarian uh, ethic that, that big government is bad, individual privacy is paramount no matter what. But the fact that, look, so many people in media and elsewhere called this guy a whistleblower. He's not a whistleblower, he's a felon. He has endangered the lives of Americans. And I think this story is beginning to turn, and that's important. And the majority of Americans, as you point out, do believe he should be prosecuted. Martha, I want to turn now. You're just back. Uh, from Jordan, and we're learning where the United States has been in a training exercise for possible uh, military operations in Syria, some kind of military intervention in Syria. It does seem pretty clear right now that the U.S. is committed to helping the rebels in a way that levels the playing field with Assad's forces. Well, I, I think what, what has been going on for a while is the CIA has been helping train the rebels on heavier weapons. I think you'll see much more of that. That's a way for America to actually vet those rebels. There's still some concern who they would give heavy weapons to. I don't think the United States is going to give those heavy weapons. Qatar, uh, Saudi yeah, Arabia. Qatar, Saudi Arabia. But we'll help train them so you can look the rebels in the eye and say, these are the guys that we trust. It's, it's 
as much as we can do at this point to try to change the balance there, because the small arms will really not change the balance in any way. And you've got such a huge problem, which I saw with the refugees, 500,000 in Jordan. That is unsustainable. Question, Dan Senor, is it too late? Uh, I don't think it's too late if we do more than just arming the rebels. The, real, the big question will be whether or not the administration at some point is prepared to do some sort of bombing campaign of Syrian airfields. It's the air landing strips that enable Assad's government to move chemical weapons around, move troops around, receive arms from Iran. Unless those airstrips are taken out, arming the rebels, I think, will have limited impact. But if you go that far, Richard Haas, is, is there any way to limit our involvement once we begin trying to implement some kind of a no-fly zone or bomb the airfield? That's why I don't think we should go that far. But what we should do is do the max, if you will, an indirect help. And that's why we should be providing these guys serious anti-armor, serious anti-aircraft uh, support. But I don't think we want to go be beyond that into direct military involvement. Syria is just one thing we've got to worry about. We've got a much bigger issue in the Middle East coming down the pike, which is Iran. Plus, we've got all sorts of issues in Asia with China. Plus, we've got the domestic challenges here at home. We do not want American foreign policy to be grabbed totally by events in Syria. Well, the, 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 I, I agree with that. The risk, however, is if the Iran, Hezbollah, Assad, Russia-backed proxy prevails, the kind of God momentum and shot in the arm that will give to the regime in Tehran could give that ultimate fight that we're dealing with, that ultimate, that ultimate conflict, Iran, give the Iranians the upper hand. That's why, again, we should be arming these guys uh, much more heavily. But, but I, still, I still don't know what comes next. I still want the question answered. What comes next? What's our strategy in Syria? If they start taking out airfields and that doesn't work, or, or if you arm the rebels with heavier weapons or train and assist or do anything and that doesn't work, then what happens? I think what we have to be prepared for, no matter what we do, let's be honest and bleak about this. We're looking at years and years of prolonged fighting in Syria. There's not going to be a quick ending. There's not going to be a happy ending. Even after Assad may be ousted from power, then the rebels will turn It'll on one another. And then none of that is going to happen. And we saw the president with uh, President Putin this week. None of that is going to happen unless the Russians change their attitude. I, I agree, which is why we have to at some point move past the Russians. We have to understand that there's not going to be any trans, you know, peaceful transition of power because it seems to me Putin's vetoed three UN Security Council resolutions on Syria. He's watered down many more. The idea that we're going to get cooperation from Putin is unrealistic. I think Richard is right in that we haven't had a real discussion in this country about the stakes in Syria. And the president at some point has to address this issue because for all the things that Martha has just seen on the front lines, this becomes a real regional mess that someone needs to talk through Martha, the American Martha, we only have 30 seconds left. I have not seen any indication from the president that he's willing to go out there in a big public way and make the case for intervention in Syria. He doesn't want to because once you put that giant toe in the water, that it, it, he's in. Okay, Martha, Richard, Dan, thank you all very much. Oh, Lord, don't do it. <laughs> like, my God. You know what? Here's, this might sound cruel. Let them sort it out in Syria. Because it's just, see, you know, we just, you know, Afghanistan, you know, um, Iraq, you know, Libya. Look what happened with Libya. They were saying don't go into Libya, don't support the rebels in Libya. They're eventually going to turn on each other, and Al Qaeda's there, and people who are anti-American in reference to militias, what have you, and all these weapons. And the minute they got rid of Gaddafi, look what happened. Benghazi started, you know, almost having almost started warring with Tripoli. Um, Weapons started spreading all over North Africa. It, 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 it was direct, you know, call uh, support of what happened in Northern Mali with the Islamic uh, movements down there. It, when you look, sometimes you have to sit back and say, you know what, let them deal with it, because it's starting to spiral out of control with all these proxies. It was Assad against the rebels, and then you know when word came out that the Americans or the West was going to arm the rebels. You know, and, and I think first they put an arms uh, arms embargo. Then they were secretly supplying not you know um, the rebels with you know light um, equipment and things like that. And that started to escalate a little more. And then you started seeing all these Islamic militants coming in. And then you started hearing you know uh, the Sunnis and the Shiites, the Shiites and the Sunnis and everything. You know the Alawites. Oh my God. And then all of a sudden, you know, when Hezbollah, you know, Hezbollah has an issue with Israel, Hezbollah says, okay, these rebels are, gonna make all, are making all these moves, and Israel is bombing Syria, then we're going to go support Assad. The Hezbollah comes in, supports Assad, they get home, I believe it was homes they got back, or another uh, strategic town they got back, and now they're going to another big town. And it's just, it's almost like the, uh, the Armageddon in the Bible. That's literally almost what it's like, Armageddon in the Bible, literally, because... It, 
all these problems, then, you know, the United States are going to side with, is going to provide military training to the rebels. The Russians are going to support Assad. It's almost like Vietnam. Yeah, then, you know, oh, my God. <laughs> it's like, you know what? Let them deal with it. Call the day. I mean, really, because it's... <sighs> now, let's go on to Snowden. This is what happened. A high school guy who was in the military... He got injured. He left the military. Was a contractor. He got classified information. He released all this, info, you know, he released information about the telecom spying situation with uh, this uh, reporter. I believe it was Edwards or what have you, out of the UK. Now the the, the guy who interviewed him outside of the uh, out of the UK is very interesting because um, he's always had Green. His name, is, I believe, his name is Greenwood. What have you? His name is uh, Cameron's friend, but we'll say Mr. Greenwood. Uh, has always has always reported on the Americans, uh, you know, spying on people, wiretapping on people, illegal searches in terms of uh, inf- getting information, all kinds of things. So it's not ironic, or it is ironic, that uh, the gentleman Edward Snowden talks to Mr. Greenwald in reference to this this interview that he gave. Now, what I found very interesting is when the, the moderator, the host of Meet the Press, whose name escapes me this morning, asked him a question in reference, uh, asked Mr. Uh, Greenwald a question. In reference to, hey, you know, you're harboring, you're pretty much aiding and abetting a felony. You know, what's your role in this as a journalist or whatever? Oh, my God, Mr. Greenwood. I wish I had the clip here. He was so offended. He's like, well, look who's calling each other a journalist. And it just went on and on. This is what it comes down to. Edward Snowden released information in reference to the United States doing illegal wiretaps, checking out cell, um, cell phones. So let me take back to what illegal because apparently they got the permission from a federal judge to do limited tracking information, what happened. The thing gets a little hairy when it turned out that the National Security Agency was also spying on their European allies, specifically the Germans. And if you all know the Germans, they ain't trying to have something like that. They're really, after coming out of the Nazi Germany, they're not really into, you know, a state, a police state in reference to uh, getting uh, information illegal, illegally. So this thing has expanded. Snowden was in Hong Kong. He left from there to go to Russia, and everybody's feeling that the Chinese uh, forced the Hong Kong officials to say, get him off the country. He went to Russia. But he's not technically in Russia. He's at a Russian airport. He's not technically in the Russian airport. He's in the waiting room at a Russian airport, and he's actually stuck there. So, you know, the United States tell the Russians hand him over. Uh, the Russians are trying to decide what to do with this. They're probably at this moment have already been working to find out what information he does know so they can get, um, you know, more secrets. You know, if he talks to the Chinese, no one knows. He says he's going to release more information, and now he's trying to figure out a way to go to Ecuador. But Ecuador says up to Russia whether they're going to let him leave Russia. I'm sorry, let him leave the, the room, the waiting room at the Russian airport in Russia. So this big mess. But it all comes down to you have all these contractors with top security clearance, and as this general Edward Snowden said, if he had the phone number for President Obama, he has these little information. He could hack his cell phone. So the issue on the table for the people is, do you agree with what Snowden did? Are you against what he did? Or is there actually a middle ground here? Yes, the United States should be allowed to spy on their citizens to a certain extent, gather information as they try to combat terrorism. Conversely, on the other side, they shouldn't, you know, stop looking at our foreign neighbors. I mean, it's a little, it's a little bizarre in that nature. So that's the situation where it stands right now. And as we sit here at 7.54 p.m., June 30th, Congo's Independence Day, by the way, 2013, the 53rd Independence Day, by the way, for Congo, Edward Snowden is sitting in the waiting area at a Russian airport in Russia, trying to get to Ecuador, but now people don't know what to do. And according to President Obama, when the plane leaves Russian airspace, he is not going to scramble some jets to force the plane down. Though I believe Nixon would. (laughs) I don't think President Obama is that gangster link. So let's move on to some other stuff as we wind down this show, people. Let's give you a little clip here if we can, but we don't have that much time. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about some uh, sports news. Oh, my God. Aaron Hernandez, tied in for the Patriots, was arrested on charges of murder. First off, let's come back a little bit. My Boston Bruins lost game six in the Stanley Cup Finals. Yes, I'm heartbroken, but it was a valiant effort to see how much, how serious, how many players on the Bruins were seriously injured. Congratulations to the Chicago Blackhawks. I have a lot of respect for them as original six, but I have more respect for them when the ownership of the Chicago Blackhawks took out a full-page ad thanking the Boston Bruins, thanking the Boston Bruins organization, thanking the Boston Bruins fans, and thanking the city of Boston for the hospitality and the love that they showed the Chicago Blackhawks when they came to Boston. That really touched me because I've never seen something like that. And I was hoping that maybe one of the players would do it on ice when they were getting the Stanley Cup, but, you know, 
Uh, let's see. Let's speak about that also. I've never watched a video of them raising the cup on the ice. I never plan to watch the video of them raising the cup at Garden. Nothing. I don't want to see it too painful. But I do appreciate the fact that when the Bruins are out there waving the sticks to the to the fans, that the Bruins fans were were just repeating the chant, "Let's go Bruins!" And they would say they were loud. I saw a clip of that. They were loud, and more so how the fans there gave applause. Uh, they applauded the Chicago Blackhawks as they carried the Stanley Cup around um, the TD Garden, around the rink. So I gave them respect, a lot of love. But I refused to watch <laughs> them raising the cup on Boston Ice. Anyway, Aaron Hernandez was a, was a star tight end for the New England Patriots. Signed a $40 million contract extension. He has a fiancé, and I believe he has a new baby, and living in a beautiful house in, Western, in, in Massachusetts. A couple days ago, um, actually about a little over a week ago, Odin Lloyd, a uh, semi-pro football player's body was found about a mile away from where Hernandez lives in Industrial Park. They found the body. There's an investigation. A couple of days ago, they arrested Hernandez. Everybody thought he'd be arrested on obstruction of charges. No, he was arrested on he was arrested on charges of murder. They found his accomplice, one in Connecticut. They got the extradition from him to come back to Massachusetts. They found another accomplice, accomplice in Florida, who they now, I believe, have extradited or are in the process of extraditing back to Massachusetts. This is bizarre. This guy had everything. But apparently what happened is that, you know, the theory, because, you know, motive is lacking, that apparently Olden Lloyd, rest in peace, brother, his funeral, I believe, was the other day, and his football team came out and showed love. Olden Lloyd apparently talked to a group of people that Aaron Hernandez had problems with. But people are theorizing that he may have said something that would tie Aaron Hernandez to a double homicide that took place, I think, in 2012, if I recall correctly. I may be off the year. So they're saying that for, you know, for four days, whatever, four days later, Aaron Hernandez killed the guy. Old Lloyd was in the car with Aaron Hernandez, apparently. He sent a text message to his sister, and he texted us who I'm with. The sister wants to know who. He typed NFL. Um, there's a picture of Aaron Hernandez holding a Glock, a self-picture of him holding a, nine, uh, a Glock 9 in his house. Why he t- wants to take a picture like that is beyond me. Uh, when the police came to check the house security system, the cameras were destroyed. Everything was destroyed. And then on top of that, when they wanted his cell phone, they turned the cell phone destroyed. Then on top of that, when they were able to extract some video from the home security system, there is Aaron Hernandez walking back into the house a time after Owen Lloyd, the time after, it was, uh, some time after Owen Lloyd was killed, if I recall correctly. In other words, some, sometimes you just can't trust anybody. Now, it's not about a motive in this case. It's about the casings were found in the car that you rented for your friend. Where is the gun? All I'll say is Aaron Hernandez I don't know what he was thinking. I, he wasn't, you know what? He wasn't thinking. We'll talk about this another time. Our time is running out. But all I want to say is this to anybody out there that's doing anything shady around me. If you do anything around me, I will disown you. I don't know you. I'll never hang out with you. Don't think I won't rat you out. Stay away from me. This guy had everything going, and because he wanted to go the way of the gangster, he is now in jail on murder charges. He'll probably end up playing, you know, probably end up doing a plea bargain to testify against the other two. He'll probably be um, found guilty as accomplice to a homicide. One is found guilty of accomplice after the fact. But the thing that was very interesting is that right after he was arrested, 92 minutes later, the Patriots, the New England Patriots, cut him. And they were shocked, thinking it was only going to be an obstruction of justice. No, it turned out that he was being charged with murder. Ladies and gentlemen, Society today. Today with Said Dabinga, live and direct. Happy Independence Day to my Congolese out there. People, stay well. Much love. I am gone. See you next Sunday, 7 o'clock p.m. on the Pacific Standard Time Zone of the United States. I'm gone. But I'm with you when you're all alone. And you correct me when I'm looking wrong. I see the guilt beneath the shame. I see your soul through your window pane. I see the scars that remain. I see Wayne. I'm looking at them. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.